Welcome back. Wandering Berry Center podcast. Brian coming at you. Alex over here. Hope everybody's doing well on this uh, fine February evening. It's the 27th of February. Yep. For documentation purposes. Global warming is going strong. Climate change. (laughs) Excuse me. Climate change. Get it right, man. Yep. Yep. How silly of me. So let's jump right into it. Alex, if I had to ask you what you, if I said the word neuron or neurotransmitter, what do you think about that right off the bat? Do you even know what a neuron specifically is? Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, transmitters in your body, right? It's like the signals in your body? Yeah, yeah, neurons In a are, sense? Yeah, in a sense. Or are, there, or are they the receiving end? Both. Uh, wait, how can they be the same? I'll explain. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, isn't that just handy? So, yeah, neurons and uh, neurotransmitters are what I wanted to talk about today. A little sciencey, but cool. it's something it's something that really fascinates me. And, I'm ready. Um, it answers, or doesn't answer, begins to answer this larger question that philosophers, scientists, amateurs, such as yourself and myself, have tried to answer... Hey, don't make claims about art. <laughs> You know, there's this sort of question out there of, like, what is human consciousness? Like, you can't, like, what makes someone who they are in a sense, really? Like, it's very difficult to go into the brain and, you know, we're at the level where people can kind of say, okay, here's sort of, like, when you're angry, like, if you sit in a machine, uh, like an EEG machine or something like that, you know, they can mm-hmm. watch areas of your brain light up as you do certain things, right? Sure, so when, you're, when you get angry, they can say, okay, this area is lit, you know, lighting up, and when you're sad. and We were talking about that a little bit with the binaural beats episode. Right, right, exactly. So, but ultimately, like, what makes one person unique mentally from another person is not really at all understood and we're not going to figure that out today either but (laughs) (laughs) could you imagine oh that would be that would be something that would be paramount um but so neurons are at least part of the answer to the question okay um so a little disclaimer first uh this is a super complicated topic so i'm going to gloss over some stuff and i'm sure any if, if should there be a scientist or someone who is knowledgeable, super knowledgeable in the area listening, you know, I'm sure I'll make them angry. But okay. so in general, for entertainment purposes only. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so in general, just some quick history. Um, this stuff is all really recent. Um, there's a guy, Santiago Ramon Cajal, born 1852. Mm. He played a big role in this. Um, Sir Charles Sherrington, born 1857, played a big part in a lot of this stuff. Uh, another guy born 1873. So, you know, these this research and this information, you know, in a lot of cases is just over or under 100 years old, which is, is not a lot of time. Right, sure. Um, and we only really started to, you know, get the tools to even start to measure this stuff Um you know, around that time. And that guy, Santiago, he was one of the first people to sit in the lab and look at neurons under a microscope 
and try to draw them. So oh. there's, there's a couple drawings that he's done, which... What does that look like? It's actually pretty, pretty accurate, but it, it basically looks like... Um, oh boy, just a bunch of stringy bits all intertwined and, and laid over each other with, with what are called cell bodies, which are the maybe the heart of the neuron, if you will. Um, hmm. With all we know, with all these different, almost blood vessels, basically, or what what they okay. look—they're they're not blood vessels, but they look like blood vessels in this painting or in this mm-hmm. drawing. You know, just spidering out and connecting to different areas and whatnot. So, yeah, very, very recent stuff as far as science is concerned, and also super fascinating. So, do we have images of these neurons, like sure actual? Do. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Yep. We do know what they look like. They kind of look like, um, so imagine a, a cell body with a bunch of branches coming off of it and okay. then one long branch called an axon. So I've heard that term, yeah. Yep, and then at the end of the axon is another set of branches. So if you imagine starting at the top, you've got a set of branches connected to the axon. The axon travels without any branches down to the cell body and the cell body has its own set of branches coming off of it. So there's a, mm. a larger portion of the cell body at the bottom and up at the top, following then somewhere there's the axon leaving the cell body. And at the mm-hmm. end of the axon, you've got another set of what are called dendrites, which are a set, what will eventually be the connection points to other mm. neurons. Interesting. But I'm not going to so much describe because, you know, obviously we don't have any visuals on this show, so people are just listening. So, but yeah, some of the major terms there, cell body, that's sort of the, the heart of the neuron, uh, any individual neuron. You've got the axon, which is going to be important later. And then the dendrites, as I said, they're called, uh, they, they're they what uh, will connect in a certain sense to other neurons. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. But I encourage you to go look up what they look like and do you learn have more a, about Do you them. have a, a scale factor that you can give us, like, or a... Oh, size comparison. I mean, of what we're talking about here, ridiculously small nanometers. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah nanometers. Yeah. Um, so let me check out the width of a human hair. That's always what people use. Yeah, something you can at least wrap your head around a little yeah. bit. So the width. Uh, uh, a sheet of paper is 100,000 nanometers thick. Okay. A strand of human DNA is 2.5 nanometers in <laughs> diameter. Nice. There are approximately 25 million nanometers in an inch, and a human hair is approximately the width of a piece of paper. So okay. we're talking uh, down in the, like, 500 nanometer area so you know many orders of magnitude smaller than a human hair you know microscopic yeah definitely that's awesome yeah it is cool so um what neurons are in and what they what they do is they send signals from one neuron essentially to the next um there are origin points like your skin uh, so your sense of touch, you can think of your senses as sort of the origin points. So your eyes, your sense of touch, your sense of taste. Sure. And there are custom cells. The inputs. Right, the inputs. So there are custom cells that take those inputs and convert them into 
essentially uh, electrical energy or uh, electrochemical energy, depending on where you are in the process. Um, so we can, that's another day, those specialized cells like covering how the eye takes light information and converts it into something a neuron can then pass along is... Oh, that would be cool. Oh, to, it's, to it's amazing. About. It's amazing. You could do a whole series on stuff like that. Yeah, and we can touch on that a little bit in a, in a, a little while later once we have more understanding. But so yeah, let's pretend we're, we're past that. And so we're just talking mm -hmm. neuron to neuron really. Okay. Um, so it's really interesting. None of the neurons actually, uh, touch each other. So if you can imagine these, the dendrites, the branches coming off of each neuron, the mm -hmm. end of the end of each one, the end of, uh, of some of them, let's say look like, uh, kind of a fist shape. And then hmm. whatever neuron is going to be next to it, or maybe a teardrop shape, that's a better way to say it. And then whatever okay. neuron or dendrite is going to be next to um, sort of a, let's say a positive end of a dendrite, the negative end of a, of a receiving uh, sort of fits the shape of the, of the teardrop. It's sort of like a plate. So the teardrop shape is sitting next to the plate side and there's actually a 20 to 40 nanometer space in between every single one of these connection points so yeah. no no one I think neuron i've seen i've seen artwork of this yeah so no yeah. one neuron actually touches another one it's like a spark plug kind of yeah actually yes yeah kind of <laughs> right the signal's got to jump the gap exactly it's got to jump the gap and so what's jumping the gap i'm sure uh, some people at least have heard, uh, neurotransmitters, things like dopamine, serotonin. Those uh, are, okay. those are, those are the signals themselves. Those basically? are the, well, in a sense, yeah, in a sense, uh, it's, it's two parts. So the basic function of a neuron is you have, mm -hmm. uh, maybe I should have practiced this <laughs> before, before bringing it to the podcast. Um, your thoughts and your your processing of information is essentially the excitation or inhibition of any one number of neurons or groups of neurons. Mm -hmm. And they are all just, it's just messages being passed from one to the next. Um, mm -hmm. Ultimately, there is some processing that has to happen, right? You have to, there's a part of the brain that understands that these certain chemicals and, and these certain neurons firing equals red or whatever. Right, right. It's computer the, code. Right. But the way it works is, let's say one neuron is trying to send information to the next. Along the length of the axon are basically doors or gates that are activated. It's basically an electrical signal moving down, an electrochemical signal moving down the axon from the, the receiving end of the mm -hmm. neuron to the delivering end of the neuron. And this pr process is literally controlled by gates that open and close, and they allow salt or potassium to enter and exit into the axon. And the so when salt enters, you raise the voltage of that particular gate, mm -hmm. and then they uh, they close. Or I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. They they open to allow salt in and potassium is pushed out. So using potassium and salt, you basically can move an electrical impulse 
down the length of the axon by opening and closing, allowing in, pushing out salt and potassium. You move this electrical chemical signal down the length of the axon. So your thoughts literally are, are moved along in some sense by table salt and bananas. <laughs> it's like the, I'm trying to, trying to break it down into like a simple. Yep. Potassium and salt are almost like the positive and negative charge. In a sense, yep. That so are providing the voltage difference to allow the current to flow. Right. And each gate basically has a potential uh, threshold. So okay. as salt is coming in, the, the potential mm -hmm. energy is building, building, building. There's a threshold, and then it fires. And that's the, where we get the term, uh. a neuron firing. So the gate, uh, the amount of energy in that one moment is, uh, is such that it crosses the threshold and moves down the line. And mm -hmm. so then the potassium moves in to basically, as, as the salt is allowing, well, right, it brings the, it brings the uh, potential energy back down to a resting state. So that's really interesting that for a long time, salt was seen as, you know, a negative, a bad thing. And even still, it's not fully on, on board with everyone, but, you know, it's such an important nutrient that people need. Um, so I'm, is potassium. I'm glad potassium you brought is, that up. Yeah, potassium is even interesting, too, because it's super dangerous to have way too much or way too little. Like, you know, obviously you can fluctuate within a zone, but there's definitely serious consequences to having too much potassium or too little. It's yeah. more likely that somebody would have too little than too much, but um, yeah, you'll never see like a, well, not never, but it's very rare to see like a uh, a multivitamin that most people can just go and buy. It usually never has potassium in it. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah, just interesting. Anyway. So... Yeah, neurons are essentially electrical devices. They have all these different channels and that have boundaries. Um, there's something called a myelin sheath that's... Ooh, that yeah, sounds yeah. provocative. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> is wrapped around the axon that helps control some of this stuff. So normally the inside of the cell, the neuron, is more negative than the outside. And we're talking on the order of... Uh, usually a, a net difference between outside and inside of about 70 millivolts. And so the difference between the electrical voltage, essentially in between the inside of the axon and the outside mm -hmm. is what in, and, and then along with the ions, the salt ions and the potassium ions, that whole operation is, is how literally how you think. Well, half of how you think the other half. So Something's, I mean, something's, Something's causing them to react, though, right? Right, and I'll, I'll explain what that is. Um, so once that electrical signal goes from one end of the neuron towards, generally speaking, again, we're glossing over a lot here, generally towards the cell body, um, mm. that electrical signal is going to kick off the process of those neurotransmitters getting uh, released. So if you imagine the cell body and the dendrites of the neuron, the teardrops of the neuron, inside those things are sacks, literal sacks of neurotransmitters. Like you have a neuron for dopamine, or I'm sorry, you have a sack for dopamine, 
serotonin sacs, yeah. uh, you know, you name it. So that electrical signal comes down the axon, hits the cell body, and that triggers the release or or sometimes inhibition of the receptors. So you're either releasing more serotonin out there, or you maybe mm -hmm. or maybe you're closing off serotonin receptors so that any serotonin that's floating around in what's called the synapse. So I should have said that earlier. The synapse is what we call the space in between. Uh, well, technically an axon terminal, which is what I was calling a, a teardrop um, and, a, and a receiving dendrite. So that space, that 20 to 40 nanometer space mm -hmm. that, that prevents any neurons from actually touching, that's called the synapse. And the neurotransmitters, oh. they float around in the synapse, moving in between the two, oh, moving in okay. between the two. So you have receptors that are looking for serotonin. That's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure you've heard like dopamine receptors and yeah, yeah, yep. for sure. So that's what those are. So, so yeah, go ahead. Well, so that means that you can only have so much in the area, right? Yes, absolutely. And does that mean that, generally speaking, I always have X amount of serotonin floating around? It's just a matter of how much my brain's, you know, wanting to accept at that given moment. In a sense, yeah, yep. Yeah, you've hmm. got you've got serotonin receptors on the the receiving end of of mm -hmm. the of the one dendrite, and if they're closed up, that serotonin right. will just float around in the sure. synapse. And and but should, do I do I need to work or uh, excuse me? Do I need to worry about making serotonin, or is it just always is oh. supply always there? Yes, you. Well, I mean, your average person no. Uh, you get serotonin by eating. Uh, by proteins and stuff. It's our yeah, body makes right. it. Yeah, for uh, sure. But it, there's I a, just didn't know if that level was always constant or if no, it's, it's fluctuating. Not, no, it's or... not always constant. For example, so, if you do a mm -hmm. bunch of drugs specifically, um, and I don't have experience in this, but uh, if I think it's ecstasy, I want to say ecstasy, maybe acid. Mm -hmm. One of them, mm -hmm. they say that uh, it can deplete your serotonin levels. Sure. Because it, it, it just sucks it all up. And it, or actually really what it does is your body artificially opens up a lot of serotonin receptors. I think I have the right yeah. one. I could be wrong on exactly which neurotransmitter, but mm -hmm. so your body, you know, the drug opens up extra receptors essentially. And so your body's like, oh, let's fill them up and yeah. then you're high. So let's roll with that um, situation. Um Let's say the drugs have worn off, you've used up all the serotonin. The next time you have a natural, if I have a natural, you know, situation where I would be using serotonin, but it's not available, what is that experience? Is that, that like depression? That <laughs> is like depression, exactly. Huh. The neurotransmitter that is expecting, I'm sorry, the neuron that is expecting to fire, not expecting, but should fire. Yeah from the tr from the receiving of serotonin it didn't receive its serotonin right it's so open it, but there's no so it didn't fire and whatever that is hooked up to is isn't, isn't gonna yeah yeah it's weird. yeah yeah <laughs> so it's super weird this might not be related but i think it is um they always say that um and i'm sure it's true with um marijuana you have like thc receptors right it's a mm -hmm. built-in thing is that mm -hmm. the same is that a neurotransmitter receptor is. or is that different 
I, I believe that is in the same area. You, um, yes, the answer to your question, I believe at least, is mm -hmm. yes, you have receptors for certain stuff. Um, yeah. And THC is one of those things. Right. And you can so, totally and you can totally overload them in the sense that they're all, you they're know, because there, there's there's a lag time, and you know, once a, re, a a receptor receives dopamine, you know, that receptor is going to be a while before it's ready to accept more dopamine. So the mm -hmm. same is true for for other types of neurotransmitters and their receivers. Mm -hmm. So that means that some, you know, comparing like THC to I don't know, something completely unnatural. Meth, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, meth is messing around with, you know, with uh, certain receptors, whereas something like THC actually has built-in receptors that are being activated on their own. Um, it's probably uh, messing with others, too, but... Yeah, but I think um, in general, that's... There's no built-in meth uh, neuro... Receptor. Well, no, there is. Well, not meth specifically, but uh, amphetamines, I believe, fall under... Hang on, I brought a list of neurotransmitters. Um, yeah, how many, how many are there? Like, how many things are a good I number built of in? Them. Yeah, a good yeah. number of them. I can list off some others later. Yeah, that'd be... I don't know about meth. That is a good question. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know if amphetamine itself has a place that it can go or if it acts on something else. Right. Right. I mean, that seems like it would be a pretty interesting way to categorize different substances. Ah, I found you the answer. Peptides. There's peptides. a neurotransmitter. There's a neurotransmitter class called peptides. And cocaine and other amphetamines um, can, can mess with your peptides. So... But they don't have; they don't contain peptides no, no, no. like both, marijuana both. contains. P no, 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 I believe I believe they do. They do. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm speaking from decent amount of ignorance on that, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't looked up. Yeah, meth science. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So, in general, that's how they work. You know, that electrical signal comes down the axon. And it yeah, triggers that's... it triggers the release on the one side of these inhibitor. I'm sorry, these mm -hmm. neurotransmitters, and then on the other side, you've got receiving. Um, and as I said earlier, you generally have two, or you have two states. You can either excite a neuron, or you can inhibit a neuron. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that that'll get you all kinds of different sure. um, effects. So, so at the level that we're concerned with right now, you know, beyond the inputs, but if you think about the inputs for a second, uh, you know, where we're talking a touching something with your hand is obviously at the surface level, the input level is different than looking at something. But once you get into the neuron receptors, it's the same thing, basically. In a sense, yeah. Once you get past the sort of specialized cells that... The, the converter. The converter, exactly. Once you get... <laughs> exactly, yeah. Once you get past the converter, uh, it's it's a, just a series of neurons going right. talk, saying, hey, you other neuron, you need to fire. And then mm -hmm. he fires, and then he tells the next guy to fire, and so on and so forth. And that, now, that firing of neurons, in a sense, makes up human thought. Or not in a sense, I mean directly, I suppose. Now, how foolproof is this? 
can I mess, not me personally, or even maybe possible now, but possible sometime, to cross the wires of the converter so that when you touch something, all of a sudden it's activating the wrong neurotransmitters? I think that happens naturally in certain like extreme cases. Like, and imagine there's got to be mutations of that system, like anything right, else. Right. Maybe less frequent, but um, why not? Are we at the level where we can manipulate it on our own? I'm not sure. Hmm. But like, can you ever? Can touching something ever trigger the visual part of your brain? I'm sorry. Yeah, can touching something trigger the visual parts of your brain? Right. That would I'd be imagine a... you'd have to tap into the converter and say, okay. Yeah. We're getting this signal in, but rather than you know outputting signal A, let's output signal B, which is But you'd you also know, have the... to change where the signals are going though, cuz if you're only changing the output of the converter by changing what's going into the converter, the converter's still the eye converters are still hooked up to the eye stuff. So, <laughs> you'd ha- you'd have to also the, um... you'd have to rehook up the eye stuff to the touch stuff somehow. What was the name of the, the barrier where my serotonin's floating around? Synapse. The synapse. So that's not a... No, you no. we are not at the level where you can essentially take the, the end of one neuron and mm. change its, its partner, if you will. So you right. have the, the axon terminal, the teardrop shape, the, the positive right. end of one neuron. It, to my knowledge at least... You'd be doing some real serious stuff if you were, <laughs> if you were able to somehow take that that terminal and move it to a different receiver. Sure, but I mean, uh, there's only one <clears throat> there's only one synapse, and there's only and there's only one area where all of these uh, neurons are floating around. Well, I mean, there's millions and millions and millions of of oh for sure, but it's one central yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what you might be able to mess with. Um, so, Harkin, <clears throat> go back to the uh, the history of this. One of the ways that we started to figure this stuff out, it turns out that uh, squids have... Let me find the size here. Uh, squids have really large, relatively speaking, really large neurons essentially really large Mm. axons so we were able to literally put an electrode into a a squid's axon and measure the electrical energy of these axons whoa and so we use squids to initially understand how we think Hmm. or or the the mechanics of how we think i should say yeah why i wonder why they get larger they're simpler they're much simpler Oh, and really? they, that, that they, constitutes st- simplicity. Uh, well, I mean, in this context, yeah, yeah, hmm. um, yeah. So they learned from squids. That's how we learned that neural firing is actually electrochemical. That's how we figured that salt and potassium are part of the process, right. and that the voltage moves along the axon down to the cell body, and so on and so forth. That's awesome. Yeah. Um. So in mammals, the biggest axons are. I think there's only a couple mammal axons that we were able to get even the tiniest, tiniest electrode into. But like a human, you could—they're—they're they're microscopic. You couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't study them. But the hmm. um, 
the squids, I thought I had this. Oh, the squids axons are as thick as one millimeter. So you can actually hold Whoa. part of a squid's neuron in your hand and what? you could physically watch it work. Really? Yep. There must be video. Ooh, I didn't even look. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. <laughs> the internet. Um, so... so Let's look at the opposite end of the the spectrum here. If humans are super complicated, complicated, excuse me, something that doesn't feel pain like a muscle or something, um, or like an, a clam or an oyster, they probably have z- no neurons, no uh, axons well, think, at all, right? I think they don't they're going to ha- anything. No, I think they're going to have to have the neurons themselves, but the sophistication and Hmm. probably very little next to no neurotransmitters. You know, we're just talking raw. This neuron's been activated. So therefore do this versus our neurons, which are much more complex. Not only do our neurons get activated, but they can be activated in different ways. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, so wow, they, they always say, um, or not, they always say, but an argument uh, for, uh, people eating a vegan diet is to eat like clams and mussels and shit because they have no sense of anything really. Yes, right. they are technically alive, but they're, there's nothing happening there. <laughs> um, so, okay, let me, well, we've already spent a good amount of time on this. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, some examples of uh, some neurotransmitters. So these are the the particles, if you will, that are being mm-hmm. passed back and forth in the synapse. Glutamate is used in a great majority of fast excitatory synapses in the brain and spinal cord. Um, it's also used in synapses that are modifiable. So there are ones that are uh, capable of increasing and decreasing in strength. So you can fire really strong or really soft. Okay. Um, GABA, G-A-B-A. Um, this is a neurotransmitter used in fast inhibitory synapses in virtually every part of the brain. Many sed- uh, sedatives and tranquilizing drugs increase GABA levels, which uh, therefore increases the inhibitory effects on whatever neurotransmitters it's acting on, and thus you get a depressive effect. Hmm. Acetylcholine uh, was the first neurotransmitter discovered in the peripheral nervous system. It activates skeletal muscles um, and a few hmm. other things. Okay. Dopamine that we're all uh, we've all heard of. Dopamine is fan, a neurotransmitter. Fan favorite. Fan favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so this has a number of important functions: regulation of motor behavior. Pleasures related. I was going to say, it's like the reward system, pretty much, yep. right? Built related on that. Motivation, emotional arousal. Um, Jeez, that yes, one's important. Plays a critical role in the reward system. Parkinson's has been linked to low levels of dopamine, and schizophrenia oh. has been linked to high levels of dopamine. Really? Yeah. So, like, low, low levels of dopamine... Um, Basically, your your motor functions aren't getting the the controlling information. I'm guessing I'm 
making a big leap here, but I would guess that the, the lack of dopamine means that receptors that are expecting to be told what to do aren't getting told what to do. Or getting scratchy signals. Or maybe scratchy signals, yep. Yep, like, <laughs> not enough. Yeah. Uh, serotonin, norepinephrine, epinephrine, histamines, those are also other types of neurotransmitters. Mm-hmm. I've heard uh, of norepinephrine. Yeah, norepinephrine is uh, the central nervous system. This one deals a lot with um, alertness and sleep patterns, so it's your sort of Uh, attention. Um, And we synthesize, we can synthesize norepinephrine from something called tyrosine. Hmm. Epinephrine, which is also synthesized from tyrosine, uh, again, plays a role in sleep and whatnot, and is Mm -hmm. at least given the uh, the controlling, or at least we think, is given the controlling function in the fight or flight response. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, they, yeah, that's a, that's a super crash course on <laughs> neurons and... Neurons in a nutshell. Yeah, but I don't know. Just for me, the fact that your the way your brain... I mean, we've all seen... Maybe, uh, images or, or pictures or like dramatizations of like your neurons in your brain and you see these blue electrical signals moving yeah, back and forth. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm thinking of. That's But it turns I out that like that's real. Like That's pretty accurate. It's pretty accurate. There literally is electrical energy moving from one spot to the next that then triggers uh the release of these neurotransmitters mm-hmm. and then those neurotransmitters then in turn trigger the next electrical signal, which moves down the next neuron, which then triggers the next set of neurotransmitters, then moves down the next neuron, and so on and so forth. So your Dude. thought, your thoughts are literally these two parts: these electrical signals moving, moving along an axon, triggering the release of a set of neurotransmitters, and then the process restarts. You know what blows me away is that that shit had to start somewhere. That you had mean, to like evolve from something yeah, yeah. like that was formed over time. That was, you know, how I is guess it you could say possible? it was by accident, but even if it was by accident, it's a fucking miracle. Well, it, it, I, it is by accident. So common, common misconception there, total, total digression here, but evolution and the mutations that come along with it are accidental. No, yeah, I mean they kind of have. They, it's just the way it is. Yeah. No fish ever was like, "I want legs," and now no, I got of course legs. not. Of course he not. accidentally got legs, and <laughs> then he happened to survive and mm-hmm. pass his genes on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all of well, evolution. I guess, I guess is all an accident. I meant by that is like, if you had similar conditions for evolution to take place, would it happen the same way again? Probably not. Probably not. Even if most things were the same, like it's just that's just how it is. But but then again, you see similar systems in other animals. So trace well, back far enough, and everything starts from right, right one point. But still, it's just theoretically, what it's would crazy been? that that is the optimal system at whatever you know in the course of evolution, the the course that it took. That was the best. It, you know, that it could come up with. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So many factors at play. It's pretty mind boggling. Yeah. And, and to even say it's the optimal system, I mean, 
Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the optimal set. I think just given the, you know, the the conditions at the time that set it on that course, and then everything along the way that just keeps refining it and refining it, and you know, then it is what it is today. If you were to fast forward, you know, a huge amount of time, it could change for sure, right? Mm -hmm. Further develop, and and so just the last thing I'll say, just to go back to the eyes. You know, your rods and your cones, those are the converters. The rods and the cones. Okay, in your eyes, yeah. Yeah, those take in light and are essentially excited by certain wavelengths of light. Yeah, right. And then that triggers the whole, you know, the electrical process, uh, which is, they're called action potentials. The way you're, when each gate, the when the salt and the potassium open and close. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the moment in time is called an action potential, just for action potential. a little vocab at the water like cooler that. tomorrow. <laughs> um, but hey, yeah, how so about you're... that action potential? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you listening <laughs> to? But yeah, so your rods and your cones are your converters, and they have, um, what is this? Uh, one, two, I don't know, what is this? Ten layers? of the eyeball that are just various layers that start converting the light into an electrical Mm. signal that we then, uh, interpret. We don't, you know, the color red is just a function of your brain. It's not a real thing in a sense. We just, we interpret the wavelength that hits our eye that eventually makes its way through. We just, we interpret that, and our our brain shows us the color. What we know is the color red. Yeah, but for that's all that's why inten- people can be colorblind. Right, right. It's because their brain doesn't know how to make the color red. It doesn't know yeah. what to do with that wavelength of light. And red is just the average of what we all see. Right. Pretty much. Right. Uh, kind of. Yeah. I mean, as far as colors go, that's just what we've all agreed upon because most people aren't colorblind. Right. right. So that's just. Yeah, and that's, that's where things can get really wild. Um, basically, people's brains interpret the same information differently. That's that's a heavy statement. I mean, obviously, it's so true, but yep. That ex- so yeah, I mean, to use the, to use the it. colorblind thing, the <laughs> same the same wave the same wavelength of light is hitting your eyes and my eyes. My brain knows how to show me a particular thing that I call red and your brain shows you something you're not colorblind, but, uh, you know, shows you something that you think is red, mm-hmm. but to me might, it's, it looks gray. I mean, isn't that interesting to think about that? Literally everybody is walking around having their very own movie. experience. It's their own yeah. movie. I mean, I could be for all, you know, seeing things quite differently, tasting things quite differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Things feel different to me. But just other than me describing it, there's no real way for you to truly know the way the world looks to me. No. Or there smells isn't. or tastes or there feels isn't. or whatever. Odds are it's similar. <laughs> but, yep. you know, then there are outliers. And those are the people that we probably call crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Neurons, action potentials. It's it's right. incredible stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take us down a notch. 
on the science, okay? <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a very science-heavy <laughs> science thing, but this no, topic... No, that's cool. We need yeah. balance, right? That's what yeah. this show is about? That's right. Um, okay, so I definitely didn't set myself up for an easy transition here, but... I could, oh, Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I was thinking about transitions for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, my topic is something that I am only passionate about right now because of where I am in the certain conditions that are in the environment right now. And it's motherfucking potholes, dude. (laughs) I've been hearing about this. Dude, driving down a road and hitting a giant pothole, you're going to excite some neurons probably in your ass. Maybe your head if you hit the ceiling, if it's big enough. Well, and you're you're relying on the neurons in your... uh that your eyes are connected to, to see that pothole or not see it. That's more your problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or see it and realize that there's nothing you can do. And you're fucked. <laughs> and you're, fucked. you're about to be out at least one tire, maybe a rim. <laughs> Dude. Okay. So in the Midwest right now, it's getting just wrecked by the weather, which is not uncommon, but it's more extreme than normal. From what I understand, I haven't been here for more than one season. Um, But yeah, they're just potholes like I've never seen before. They are freaking massive. I mean, we're talking, you know, they span the width of the entire road. So it's not even really a pothole. No, I actually would. That was going to be an argument of mine that we don't really even need to be calling these things potholes. They're just road failures. I would say. Um, Yeah, so they seem like a pretty simple thing, but um, do you have an idea of kind of how they form? I do. Um, Essentially, the the rapid freezing and unfreezing of asphalt and probably water running through it Mm -hmm. uh, just starts to create these spaces, right? And then... Maybe water running underneath moves some dirt out from underneath the asphalt, and that's how you get the actual hole. Yeah, you pretty much got it. I mean, um, you can have the pothole certainly without the freezing. You know, basically the two ingredients, you know, like uh, like a fire, you need fuel and <laughs> spark and air. I guess this you just need two, but um, water and then shit driving over the road. So water needs to make its way under the road somehow, one way or another. And then as long as people are still driving on it, if you do nothing, a pothole is going to form one, you know, eventually. Right. Um, Of course, if you had a road that was just super thick, then maybe the um, pothole wouldn't form in the foreseeable future lifespan of the road, whatever, just because of the concrete's thick, but it could still theoretically happen. But yeah, the freezing certainly, um, you know, it accelerates the whole process. So you get those voids underneath the concrete or the road base, whatever they put underneath the concrete and, uh, the asphalt. And then as you drive over, the road starts cracking and sinking into those voids. And eventually you have a pothole, so what are the what are the roads like right now where you are? Uh, they're fine. I don't know what we do differently. Uh, we have certainly had 
I mean, we just were, we're now on the warm side of a freeze. Okay. So be interesting to see if you start seeing things, um, try to keep an eye out pop up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing that kind of, if you're in a state that has like snow and freezing and all that stuff, um, plow trucks certainly further accelerate. So you get like, let's say you get a freezing pocket of water. It pushes the road up and it snows. And then this big ass truck comes by with its two ton plow and just rips that (laughs) shit clean out of the ground. That's how you get those like really deep ones. You just catch the lip and just rip it out. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can like, um, you know, unless the road's perfectly smooth, you'd want to raise the plow up over, you know, let's say an inch or two over. So you're leaving a little bit of snow on the, on the ground, but you don't want the, the edge of the plow riding directly on the pavement for that purpose. But they let them ride here. Well, you probably have better roads that you're starting with. If your road's already shitty, the truck's bouncing around. <laughs> Uh, the, (laughs) the suspension action and which is accelerated by the length of the plow edge from the wheels that are bouncing around is certainly going to be more than an inch. Mm -hmm. So you can raise them up if you want, but they're just eventually going to bounce down, catch an edge and bam pothole. And if you got enough, if they're high enough and you got enough angle, I mean, you're going to, you might snap something. Dude, maybe not. Maybe not on a plow. Yeah, a, probably a, not. But the plows usually win. Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> giant trucks and just thick ass metal. Just rip that thing out of the ground. Um, did you see the picture on the front page of Reddit with the cop standing in the yeah. pothole? Yeah, that. I mean, that was uh, multiple feet deep. Where did <laughs> yeah, the so Where did my... the road material even go to? I've been wondering that because you see some, you think about a car like driving over a hole, it kind of presses it down and then maybe eventually something comes along and is big enough to flick some of the stuff out or it crumbles and just kind of settles in. But yeah, when it's like two, three feet, four feet, apparently, you know, in this example that we saw, I don't know. I really don't know where all that, I mean, the hole itself all right, this is, I guess, what I could see happening is the road is a certain thickness mm-hmm. and it was with it was able to withstand for whatever reason the path of the cars wasn't directly on that spot. It looked like, if I remember right, it was kind of in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so the void that the water created in the soil underneath the base just became huge. Like, you know, the size of an exercise ball. So that road surface is just sitting at, you know, that one inch, two inch. It's just floating over the hole and then eventually collapses and falls in. Yeah, exactly. Something comes along and just, and it's the icing on the cake and it just falls in. So the material's in there. It's just way in there. Um, Probably don't want to be the poor bastard who hits that and creates (laughs) that for the first time. No. Um, so yeah, but before, uh, backing up a little bit, before a pothole um, earns its badge, I guess, <laughs> something... <laughs> Quite gets its first kill. <laughs> yeah. 
Ooh, that would be fun actually to start like putting tallies next to the biggest potholes of how many tires. There was are a not to digress too far, but there was a video on Reddit as well where this guy was trying to stop people. The the pothole was filled with water cuz mm-hmm. it had been raining. Yeah. Yep. And people were just I mean, they were busting rims and tires on this thing. One yeah, it was like other. four or five in the span of the video. Yep, yep. Um, so that one, that one's doing quite well. And as you far had as you cars. had citizens, <laughs> gold star. You have citizens like out there putting cones in front of them, like directing traffic. It's it's actually kind of amazing. One of the most amazing things I saw. Um, and I've read about it in other places too, but I did see it for my for myself. Um, just regular citizens filling potholes on their own because the state won't. won't so they're just or they, can't. Uh, a little bit of both. We can yeah. get into that a little bit, but okay. um, yeah, that it's so, an interesting subject. Um, so but yeah, so I'm buying cement or something. Yeah, man, I was um, I was getting gas one day, and <laughs> some guy is just got his tailgate open and his his SUV, and he's got a couple bags of I guess he can buy asphalt in bags. I don't really know what he know was that. using. I don't know if it's probably not what you would properly fill the hole with, but whatever he was using, he just had it in his car and he had a little shovel and he just opened it up and was like, I'm fixing this. Dump it in there. Um, yeah, so that that's pretty amazing to me. So yeah, but before it becomes a hole, you'll see what's called crocodile cracking or alligator cracking because nobody knows the difference between those two animals. And <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't it... Uh... Crocodiles are saltwater. Um, yeah, it's definitely or yeah. alligators are saltwater. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> but yes, that, I think that's the differentiation between the two. So yeah, so you know how like if you see the surface of road and it's just got like, uh, you know, maybe it's like depressed a little bit, and then you see this kind of like um, this grid of of cracks in one area, that type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, that's kind of it starting. Is it pushing up or, or falling down at that point? Uh could be either, but usually falling down, I think. Okay, okay. I think when it does push up, it's pretty dramatic. And that's from, um, fr- that's from the freezing. That's the only time it'll do that. I yeah, imagine. that's really yeah. the only time it's going to push up is if it freezes. Um, and I think it gets ripped up pretty fast. Because <laughs> that plow like, comes along. The plow comes along, or even just regular cars driving over that shit. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so um, you'll see that. And I think that's what happens when, um, you know how they'll put some of the repair methods, like if you want to do, you know, let's say you start seeing this alligator cracking, you don't quite need to cut out the whole road yet. It's not a huge deal yet. You'll put down like, you ever see the strips of tar? Tar snakes, we call them. Yeah, so I think that's what primarily that's for is to kind of prolong the road before you have to do a complete repair, which there's a couple different um, methods you can do there. Um, but I think what's more interesting is what makes the state of Michigan so ridiculous. And part of that is that there's no clear answer to the, to the question. 
you can spend a lot of time searching and you're going to get a lot of different a lot of different answers but mother um, but nature ultimately is is defeats asphalt sure. basically definitely weather is the ultimate cause right but that's i mean that kind of is put into question the second i drive over the border into ohio and the road becomes <laughs> super nice right that's true it's not like the state of new york has ridiculous i mean they got some potholes but definitely yeah and you know everybody's experience is you know anecdotal in that they only drive certain roads it's not like i'm driving every road in the state right so it's possible that my commute that i take or my roads that i take regularly are shittier than others but i would say it's no secret that on average most people are experiencing shittier roads in michigan than in other places and the even me just the headline or not even headline but just the knowledge i have of the situation it is has been quoted as being specifically michigan yeah and so weather definitely is what's the direct cause, but then there's the lack of funding to repair it. So um, there's a couple of reasons there. I guess we have um, lower gas tax, and the gas tax is supposed to be used for road repairs, and it kind of gets like divvied out to the different um, you know, counties and towns every year for road repair. So I think, you know, Michigan definitely has a pretty good idea of which roads are shit and which ones need fixing. Um, but who ultimately gets the money, which there is little of, um, just by that nature is going to leave certain roads crappy. Right. Um, then there's the argument that the roads in the first place were not built very well, which you probably can't say that about every single road here, but maybe a lot of them, they started out shitty. They start degrading. And then if you don't ever do proper fixes, all they ever do here is these little patchworks, fill it with some shit, drive over it with a truck tire so that it packs it down. And then it's not very long before that. And I, was gonna, up again. I was just going to say, I have personally seen that that fix applied in on a road, mm-hmm. and then not in Michigan, of course, but uh, and then maybe a week later that it was just it was just ripped out. Like the patch didn't even have time to really like harden or whatever. They just they just poured asphalt into the hole, drove yeah drove a truck truck tire over it, and then yeah. a week later Which that I guess shit... is a like um an approved there's a there's a governing body of some sorts that um the FHWA I'm not sure exactly what that stands for I don't remember um but that is a um designated repair I believe it's called the throw and roll repair yeah <laughs> see <laughs> throwing it is the act of getting that shit in a shovel and throwing it in the hole and then the roll is take your truck that you probably had this stuff in the back of in the first place and just drive over it. And hopefully it dries before somebody else comes along. Um, so, yeah, you can do that. But 
that's not a permanent repair, but we here in this lovely state treat it as a permanent repair, it seems, because there's nothing ever to follow. Um, so just for example, on my way to... Uh, so when it rains, the road that I normally take, it usually closes because it's designed to flood, actually, so that another area doesn't flood. Fine. So I took another way home, and it was the type of, it's like a four-lane highway, but there's certain, if the whole thing is just litter. It's a minefield of potholes. So you have, you know, tons of cars dodging, which in that sense is dangerous. Um because people just aren't really going straight anymore. And then you have the people that aren't paying attention. They hit it, so that can cause um, issues. You know, if somebody in front of you blows out a tire or next to you or whatever, they're freaking out. So there's that. Um, but, yeah, there's just, cr- like, crevices in the road that are f- across the full four lanes that you just better slow down, I guess, because you're hitting that. And then and this is the road that you've taken. We're talking about. Yeah. So yeah. I've since stopped. That was a one day thing. I now go a different way. And you were in <laughs> your sedan rather than your truck, which yeah. means you were not equipped to handle. Right. I like to think that I'd rather just have dirt roads everywhere if this is the other option. But there ultimately, that that's probably not good either. No. Those get washed. Those get washed fun. out by all those floods. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, do you have a, a good answer as to why Michigan specifically? Like, did they just build, like, as you said, did they, were they really just shitty from the start? Um, that's a possibility. I don't, I can't really claim that. Um, there's theories on that. <laughs> of course, there's theories that are against it, too. And then the poor funding. Um, another interesting thing is I guess we have um, higher weight limits for trucks. So, you know, the tractor trailers, it's the per axle weight is no more than any other, but where the total weight of the truck is higher. So you can just have more axles, which is just more weight. Um, And then not to mention the industry that we have going on in this, you know, I'm in the southeast part of the state. So a lot of the automotive industry and suppliers and lending itself to tractor trailers just driving everywhere, right? Yeah, shipping I things. there's a lot of shipping going on, yeah. So I think, yeah, our weights are higher, and just probably the volume of trucks going in and out and using the roads, transporting things, is way high. Um, so you combine those things. Uh, and then there's also some some talks of, like, fraud and conspiracy on where that money, <laughs> of course of where the money actually goes disappears really. Have you ever heard of Charlie Liddell? No. He, he's a uh reporter in your area. You should look him up on anybody should look him up on YouTube. Um he's an amazing reporter who does like investigative style stuff and so he does a lot on the local governments and the corruption and finding out where the money goes. Mm. And I wonder if he's ever covered this topic. Oh, I'm sure. He's covered similar ones. Like, What's his name? Charlie LaDuff, I believe. I think he actually retired or moved on just recently from from where he's been at. But uh, yeah, he uh, 
there was this thing where they were supposed to like truck in some they they were supposed to like truck in some dirt that was better dirt because they they poisoned the topsoil and and some something and so <laughs> some some politician pocketed all the money for the good dirt because Charlie Leduff went to the places where the good dirt was supposed to be delivered and it just was never delivered oh, or at man. least uh just shitty dirt was delivered so somebody somewhere pocketed like a hundred grand just and he found <laughs> and he found them too actually. It was made public, though, that this yep. dirt was supposed to be... Yep, yep. Hmm. Yep. And it's actually, it's mind-boggling if you watch some of his stuff. Um, yeah, I didn't, he was born, he wasn't born here, but he grew up here. Yep. I guess, and... He's awesome. You should, uh, you'll... Cool, you'll, yeah, you'll definitely have, you'll have fun check watching. him out. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, but I, nope. I'm finding myself thinking, like, so I'm in my car, I'm rolling along, and there's a, let's, let's say it's a new pothole. Let's even give the state the benefit of the doubt here. Let's yeah, say yeah. um let's say I'm the first one to wreck my front tire <laughs> on this like cuz I mean that video dude people were they're blowing them out. Dude and it's not just tires it's wheels and that The one the one guy's suspension. whole suspension locked up. Oh totally. You wreck it. Dude he was like the car like he hit the pothole and everything stopped. Like he wasn't dude, able the, to, to keep rolling. The Buick has <clears throat> 70 this is a, a used car that I bought it's a 98 but it only has 74,000 miles on it it had the control arms in the front replaced at like 62,000 miles and it spent like its most, most of its life in your area A whole life so oh man that sucks definitely just because it's been getting wrecked on getting potholes. hammered so yeah i'm the first one to hit this pothole it's good for me um can i go bitch to the state or am I just SOL? Um, as far as like getting your shit repaired? Anything. But yeah, prim- yeah, preferably getting new tires or control arms or whatever. I don't really know how that works. Um, I do know that there's like a pothole reporter, like a whole website set up by Michigan for this. Okay. Um, which actually I haven't been to. We should go to that. So then I my gut feeling on the answer to my question is your SOL because oh, if I'm there's sure. if there's no budget to fix the potholes there's certainly no <laughs> budget to pay it, yeah. people for their car repairs but I just figured I would I had to ask the question yeah MDOT report a pothole site's probably not going to load because there's so much traffic it's actually not loading I'm going to try to pull it up what was it um, just go Michigan pothole reporter Google that. You should get an MDOT site. So every morning while you're sipping your coffee before you drive, you gotta let me check the uh, let me check the the pothole reporting website. <laughs> well, I was listening to the radio one day and they reported on the pot on the radio a pothole. This is actually before winter, so that's I hilarious. Was, it I didn't see this. Me. Okay, I didn't see this monster, but I'm assuming <laughs> to be reported on the the radio that's a in michigan that's a big ass pothole and again brings like up that, imminent danger yeah and it brings up i mean we're not calling this a pothole this is just straight up it's just failure of, failure of road the road surface yeah yeah report potholes on state truck lines by filling out our online form or call you can call a number <laughs> oh, there we go yeah you can call a number and be like yo that's so Pothole tips. Ooh, let's see. 
Yeah, what do they got? I'm looking at that too. Yeah. Be vigilant. That's tip number one. (laughs) It's on you, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Tip number one. Don't suck. Uh, Oh, extra vigilant too. Not just regular vigilant. It's not good enough. Keep a firm... Oh my god. Read that last paragraph. Keep a firm grip on your steering wheel as bottles can cause your vehicle to change direction suddenly. Holy shit. Don't swerve into an occupied lane. No one wants pothole damage to escalate to a collision causing further damage or injury. So they're acknowledging the fact that your car is getting damaged. Yep. At some point. <laughs> yeah. Next Just sentence. Don't make it worse. Next sentence. Unquestionably hitting potholes can damage your vehicle. This is on a the Michigan DOT site, Michigan.gov. Yes. Yep. Then, okay. This is so, amazing. I don't necessarily want to read from tons of stuff, but this is just too good. So under the heading, there's a technique to this. There are often two schools of thought. This is .gov. There are often two <laughs> schools of thought on driving through potholes, speeding up to jump over them, or jamming on the brakes hard to hit them as slowly as possible. <laughs> Both might work. Occasionally, but the best is somewhere in between. That doesn't make any sense. That's the biggest cop out I've ever heard. Wow. Um, so what's a, crazy about this is um, on one of Ford's newer vehicles, they have it's got uh, a pretty active suspension system, so it's actually able to detect potholes. Mm-hmm. So basically what happens is if the vehicle detects the front suspension drop suddenly, right. it will react the rest of the car, mainly the rear suspension, appropriately. And, I mean, that's the only... If, if Ford were in Colorado, that feature wouldn't exist because the people driving these cars every day, the managers driving these cars, wouldn't ever come into work and be like, Goddamn pothole on <laughs> this road. On Route 5 there. Yeah, no. It, so they would have never thought of it. That's a that's a really... Yeah, that's totally true. The the head guys at Ford are like, dude, we're doing something about these potholes. Yeah, make my, make my drive more comfortable. Man, this is hilarious. Yeah, so um, nothing too revolutionary here, but potholes, man, they are... Somehow, as a as a car nerd, I seem to end up in the worst places for roads. When I was in uh, Springfield, Mass, they sucked uh, pretty bad as well at times. Not not this though, not like this. Yeah, I almost want to find out what uh, Colorado does because I mean we so going stepping back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Part of what's going on this winter is we're not really having a winter. Mm-hmm. And you're getting really dramatic swings in temperature. And so that's exacerbating the situation, as you said. So we've got that out here, too. Yeah. And... Well, I mean, like we said in the beginning, the main thing is the water, right? You're not eliminating the traffic, that's for sure. You might have different traffic yeah, patterns. Yeah, it's not raining here. here. That's true. It's not raining. Well, you probably you may have less rain, but you may also just be dealing with drainage better than we are. Oh, okay. I see. If you can just prevent the water from getting in the road in the first place, then the pothole is not going to form, or okay. is less likely. That makes sense. Yeah. So you could just have 
you know, Michigan is uber flat and maybe the water doesn't have anywhere to go as opposed to Colorado where everything's not flat. So <laughs> I don't yeah, know. That's... That would make, that would, at least seems logical. So this page, this page though, I mean, I'm reading this. Yeah. I encourage everybody to go check this out for a good laugh. Yeah. At my expense. <sighs> And everyone around Michigan me. pothole report, and then I clicked on uh, what was that tips or something? Yeah, on the right side. Yeah, pothole tips. Oh, and the picture they have there is so modest. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Nothing. That's, that's nothing. nothing. I'd hit that, that any day. No, they 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 approach that and go, nope, that's perfectly fine. But what I was going to say is, I'm reading this whole page, <laughs> and it's shockingly honest. But the last, the thing, the thing that they don't say, and I was looking, I was looking to see if there was any compensation or anything. Yeah, no. And then I found found where they addressed that. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, kind of, kind of. Uh, where did it go? You hit one. Now what? You, you probably <laughs> this qu- quote. You probably should get your vehicle checked out and repaired if necessary. You may need to get your steering realigned. <laughs> Good God! So yeah, is your vehicle like, now bottoming out or bouncing? <laughs> yeah, so like they're not but, saying they'll fix any. Not that I would expect them to, but no. it's yeah, that's wild. Wonderful. Anything right, else well, on the Great I World think that's, models? Uh, I think that might wrap it up for today. Okay, we have some exciting news though. We do. The website is up. It's live. We've been telling you for weeks. It's glorious. So excited. Yeah. Wanderingberrycenter.com. Yep. Uh, We've got a contact page in there. We ended up sticking with the Gmail. So wanderingberrycenter at Mm gmail.com. We've got the Twitters. We've got the Instagrams. Yep. No Facebook, as I always say. Hit us up. Let us know what you're looking for. Feedback, too. Any feedback. Yeah. Yeah. If you hate us, you love us. Probably hate us. You probably, yeah, I mean, you just go look at reviews. People are more inclined to write poor reviews than good reviews. That's true. true. So, yeah, website is up and uh, only took us a couple minutes longer than we planned. It's quality. It's quality. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's not haphazardly thrown together. Okay. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. Yep. Thank you. See you next week.